Welcome to Being the Dot. I'm your host, Dr. Stacy. Each week, I invite a guest or series of guests to share their experiences of being a person of color in white spaces. Where are you really from? Can I touch your hair? Are you using food stamps? The new face of racism, microaggressions, the daily slights, improper comments, implicit bias on full display, subtle, ambiguous, and often unintentional things that people of color experience at the hands of others. That's our topic today, is to build strategy with tips and tricks from three multi-generational experts. They'll share their wisdom, a little humor, and what's the secret sauce for them to not just survive, but thrive in white spaces. Dr. Harold Cheatham received a Bachelor of Science degree in psychology from the Pennsylvania State University in 1961, a Master's of Arts degree from Colgate University in 1969, and a Doctorate of Philosophy degree from Case Western Reserve University in 1973. Dr. Cheatham's professional appointments in higher ed include Director of the University Counseling at Case Western Reserve University, Professor of Psychology at the University at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy, Professor and Head of the Department of Counselor Education and Counseling Psychology at the Pennsylvania State University, and Professor and Dean of Clemson University's College of Health, Education, and Human Development from 1996 to 2001. He has served as a national educational leader and a student and as a student of student mental health services delivery in the Soviet Union and China, and as a medical missionary in Zambia, Ghana, Vietnam, and Haiti. Dr. Cheatham is a life member of Phi Kappa Phi and the Fulbright Scholars Association. He has served the editorial boards of the Career Development Quarterly. He has also served the Western Journal of Black Studies, the Journal of Black Psychology, the Journal of College Student Development, and editor of the ACPA Media Board. His writing and research addresses multicultural counseling theory and practice, cultural pluralism, and psychosocial development of African Americans in higher education. He is a prolific writer, including many peer-reviewed journals, books, book chapters, and multiple presentations. Dr. Cheetah is the founding member of the Hartzog Institute for National Parks and the Dean Emeritus and Professor Emeritus of Counseling and Education Leadership at Clemson University. He has achieved Professor Emeritus status at the Penn State University. And in 2012, Dr. Cheatham was inducted into the Society of Distinguished Alumni of the Pennsylvania State University. Tamika Monique Hatcher is a professional diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant specializing in conflict resolution and equal opportunity. Currently, she serves as the educational outreach coordinator with the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission. Tamika began her career in civil rights as an employment discrimination investigator and previously served as the acting director of Housing and Commercial Property Division. 
an experienced facilitator to make and develop a groundbreaking training on diversity, harassment, and respect for police departments. And that model is a model throughout the Commonwealth. A graduate of Lincoln University with a degree in political science and French, she was a legislative research analyst for the House of Representatives and a social worker concentrated on child advocacy. Tamika's passion is youth engagement, and she served on the Pennsylvania Bullying Prevention Partnership and Mentors Leaders of Tomorrow. As a charter member of the Greater Harrisburg Chapter of the National Black MBA Association, she is a past board member of the Program for Female Offenders. Tamika is a silver star of the Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated and a recipient of the Lisa Waller Memorial Service Award from the NAACP, a graduate of the Martin Luther King Leadership Development Institute and the Pennsylvania State Police Citizens Police Academy. She earned her master's of business administration and management from Eastern University and has taught social justice and civil rights workshops at Elizabethtown College, Lebanon Valley College, and Widener University of Law and the Dickerson School of Law. Gary Andre Abdullah has worked at the Pennsylvania State University for 13 years. Gary has served as assistant dean for diversity and inclusion for the Donald Belisario College of Communications since 2017. In that role, he strives to make the college an inclusive and welcoming place for all students, staff, and faculty. His responsibilities range from student recruitment and retention to staff development. Before being selected as the assistant dean, Abdullah was the multicultural coordinator for the College of Ed at Penn State, an academic advisor and admissions officer for the university during the career that he has focused on higher education. He has earned two degrees from the Pennsylvania State University, a Bachelor's of Arts in Telecommunications and a Master's in Telecommunication Studies. Daughters, please welcome to the podcast our guests, Dr. Hal Cheatham, Tamika Hatcher, and Gary Andre. Applause and around. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. <laughs> you bet. I had to let let the folks know how distinguished our panel was today and how grateful I am that you are here with us. So we're supposed to be talking about microaggressions tonight. And I guess I'd like to start our conversation um, with sharing a little bit about what comes up for you when you hear the word microaggressions. Why don't we start with you, Dr. Cheetah? My most recent example of that, if I may take a minute, because uh, it happened within the last couple of weeks, and I was in the entryway to the local market uh, waiting for someone to get out of my way so I could take the wipes and wipe down the cart and be on my way. And she turned to me and said, son, you need to pull that mask up over your nose. Wow. I was so flummoxed that I just dutifully pulled the mask up over my nose. And then I thought about it for a second. I wiped off my cart and I looked at my clothing and I had on all Steeler gear. And it was a Steeler mask and on a Steeler jacket and had on my Steeler sneaks. (laughs) 
So I think that she had responded to my attire rather than to me. So I caught up with her over where the lettuce is. And I said, um, first of all, I'm not your son. And second of all, I probably am your elder. And she was frantically shaking her head. No, 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 no. So I said, are you over 80? She said, I am. I said, well, you still ought to mind your own business. Amen, brother. So Amen. that's my answer to uh, when I recognize that I have discovered in, in trying to think over this for you, uh, that my uh, response is counter-aggression and, and, mm. and explicit counter-aggression. I'm, I'm very clear about how I feel and what your responsibility is for that. Uh, for that feeling that I'm enduring, and then I'm then I'm done with it, except for, you know, and of course this was a white woman. And as I've been thinking over the last few days since you asked me, invited me, um, all mine are Karens. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we've got to come back to the Karen okay. factor, uh, so. Okay. Hold that thought, uh, but thanks for that. What about you, Andre? It, it is interesting. Um, I I was looking to Dr. Cheatham and his response, and I realized um, a lot of my responses are, are now tempered by um, my age and my size. Mm -hmm. And so I live in a very, um, very white environment, and I work there as well, but also I am over six foot. And I am about, I'm over 300 pounds. I'm not a small dude. Um, and so also being a dark-skinned male and bald and have a beard, the threat can be very real very quickly. And so over time- Perception, perception. Uh, Please, perception. I have to interrupt you. The perception, because you're not threatening. Like your physical being in and of itself is not threatening. It's people's perception of you. I just have mm -hmm. to, because you're fine just the way you are. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I, I receive that. Thank you. Um, and I, I have learned over time, I think, to my response isn't always healthy. It, it's, 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 I ignore people and I get internally angry um, at a lot of mm. things. And I have realized over time is probably been inherent in that I do not necessarily trust a lot of folks or a lot of the people that I work with or, and or around. We will keep we can keep professional relationships um, and, and we are, I'm very careful and guarded with certain things, um, but it's, it's a lot of internalization. We, you and I have discussed this before on um, Dr. Pearson, mm -hmm. but that's, that's kind of where I'm at. What's also interesting is now in my position, I have been able to stand with, especially women of color. And I have become much more cognizant um, of seeing microaggressions directed towards them mm -hmm. and trying to mm -hmm. understand and, and feel when is my time to step in when do they want me to step in or when is my time to allow them to handle the situation in the way they need to because there are times when i do use my what i call my big black man privilege and i let people know what was <laughs> not acceptable yeah. um and yeah. so it's it's a it's a careful balance of that not to overstep my place but also to make sure people feel supported in that mm -hmm. so it's a, it's a variance for myself i internalize for others I'm willing to bark very loudly if necessary. Huh. That's interesting. That's interesting. What about you, Tamika? Oh, well, this the, the the journey to handling microaggressions 
like uh, for the gentleman, it, it's it's evolved with me as I as I've aged. And I think when I was younger, I was a lot more mindful uh, about how I handled things simply because I wanted to be perceived as quote unquote professional. So in the workplace, a lot of times I would um, swallow down things that that didn't sit well with me. But what I found, even when I was a, a younger woman, it didn't sit well with my spirit. Like it's not. I don't come from the stock of allowing someone to get away with disrespect. And even the the term microaggression in and of itself is a misnomer because no matter how big or how small it is, it's uh, more often than not, it's quite intentional. And it is it is designed to do just that, to just etch at your spirit and to reinforce uh, a perception within the person who is perpetrating that and also within you as a person who is the victim of the microaggression that somehow there's something wrong with you or that you're not enough. So in, in your case, uh, Gary, that you're threatening. And that is something that black men of, of all ages, from the time that you're uh, maybe 10 years old, when you start to even first take on the, the, the first characteristics of manhood by height a little bit or some facial hair. And certainly if you're of the darker persuasion already, you are perceived as a threat but when it happens directly, more often than not, we're so taken aback in the moment that somebody would dare to be so disrespectful. Sometimes it takes your breath away or you don't have the words. But what I've learned to do mm-hmm. is challenge people back in the moment. And I love what Dr. Cheatham said, called it counter aggressions, counter aggression, like it hit them right back with an aggression. And usually they are um, equally taken aback that you would even uh, deign to challenge them on their disrespect. And so when a simple posing up, well, whatever do you mean by that? Well, why would you say that? Well, that's interesting. I've never heard you say that to another colleague. You didn't say that to Susan in our meeting yesterday. So why the implication that, boy, Tamika, you sound very articulate today. You sound very intelligent. Well, did I ever not? And when you pose the question to them in that way, they hear themselves and they meant it just how they said it. And they don't want to be called out about that. So then it's, oh, well, no, I, well, I didn't mean, oh, I'm so, oh, well, you took it the wrong way. And so, it, but it's, it's been an evolution because we're concerned with keeping our jobs and uh, being professional and not being seen as angry Black. So it's, it's a challenge and it's a daily struggle. It's something that every day there's something. So I, I will say for myself that I find that my response has evolved Uh, Mm -hmm. developmentally. And so the way that I would respond at 25, Dr. Cheatham, when I was at Mm -hmm. Penn State, which was much more, I was in fully probably in the immersion stage of my identity development, right? So it was full on Angela Davis, um, Black Lives Matter before we had that nomenclature, Mm -hmm. right? And, And then I went to a space of internalization as as Gary described it. And now um, I find that either I move from a place of curiosity. So tell me more about what makes you say that or why did you ask that or what were you thinking or what's your sense about what made you ask me that? Um, that I, but there are moments in time where I feel less curious and more educative but and and I think some of it is about what's happening for me as well like social historically like I think if I had to go into work 
tomorrow that that it may be a little bit more congruent than it would have been mm-hmm. yesterday. So um, Sean Harper, who's a scholar out at University of Southern California, um, goes to companies and um, and surveys the employees about the most common um, ways that racism happens for them at work. And he talks about them being mistaken for other colleagues who they bear no resemblance or um, having their hair touched or having the N-word used in their presence or expected to be speaking on behalf of an entire race of people or all people of color um, or um, racial battle fatigue, just the, this, just the weariness around this or the inability to be one's authentic self because of the normative cultures of whiteness. Which of those or, or other types of microaggressions do you find that you experience most frequently? Hmm. There, I'm, I'm mistaken for several gentlemen a lot. I get, yes. I get that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. th- so that's, that, that's, that's definitely one thing that will, that will set you off. Um, when I was, when I was younger in my professionalism, it was the questioning of me. It was the speaking around me to other people. Um, I've, I I have evolved. I'm, I'm on 39, but I've gotten better over the years. And so I don't take it as personally because I, when I was a little bit younger, I was definitely more of a counter aggressor. And we would have a discussion right there about how that wasn't appropriate. And you weren't going to do that again. Um, but I've, I've gotten better um, about, I shouldn't say better. It, it, well, I just did it right there. It's the normative part. You mentioned earlier um, having to not being able to be your true self because you have to apply to certain normative behaviors. There are two very distinct parts of me. So I have two names. My first name is Gary. And my second name is Andre. You, you, uh, Dr. Pearson, have known me personally most of my life. And so you know me as Andre or Dre. Um, my name on campus is Gary. It is actually a very intentional thing that I switched on and switched mm-hmm. off. Um, and made decision about it very early on in my professional career. Um, and it is, so it is that it is that piece of having to perform um, in, in a certain pocket, in a certain role. And it, it's very interesting when people from my personal life venture into my prefer, personal and from my professional life. And they're like, do you, we're looking for Andre and people generally do not know who that person is. Mm-hmm. And unless they wow. know my first name, they're like, Gary, like, oh, Gary. Yeah, yeah. He's over here. Um, and so it it is that piece that is very real to me. Um, I, people reckon some folks can't tell black people apart, and so I'm gonna let them deal with that. And that's their issue. But it is it is the normative of having to be separate per- persons in separate places. That's a real thing. And that is that is the supreme microaggression that they can't. Tell it's like, do you do you see me? Do you, mm-hmm. do, you do you see me? It, it, it's a right. it's a fight. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's at I, I mean, I've had people on campus come up to me and have a whole conversation about I don't even know, like international, the study abroad program. And I'm thinking, you know, and then, you know, there's that moment that you're like, did they send me a video and I missed it? <laughs> like, was I supposed to be at a meeting that I, I, I didn't know? Maybe maybe they forgot to put it on my schedule. Like, like I'm trying to make sense of it. And then it finally it's like. Oh, you don't know. You don't want me. 
You don't want me. You want so and so. And I think that is the most impactful part for me. I just want to touch upon it real quick. We'll come back to it. The most impactful part of microaggressions is the questioning of yourself. Mm. Over time. Mm. Yes, yeah. we will come back to that. We mm. will absolutely come back to that. Tamika, did you want to talk about the most common? I, and it will- I did. And, that, and that's exactly where I was going next, Gary. Like you said, the questioning of yourself. And for me, I think the most insulting type of microaggression and one that I encounter the most is uh, the questioning of or the challenging of, of my intellect. And like since I was a child, that was something that I always, I just could, could not tolerate. I just didn't abide that at all. Like don't, don't, don't play me for stupid. Don't, don't question my intellect. Don't talk down to me or, or be condescending and, and, and act like I'm dumb. And then I've had other times where people have just outright challenged my integrity, which I find much more, you know, even more abhorrent. And I'll give you a, a, a for instance, um, one time I was basically accused of stealing at my job, the implication was that I had stolen because we had a, we had an open office concept at the time. And I had a semi-private office, but it wasn't entirely private. And I was trying to call the electric company to discuss my electric bill. And my supervisor told me I could go into her private office and, and use it whenever I needed to make a private call. So that's what I did. And I, at this point, had been at my job for 19 years. But a secretary, knew a young white girl who had been there for about nine months. Well, the secretary wasn't even working that day. That's why I was able to go in the office. It was empty. She was off. The girl called my supervisor at home and said, Tamika's in your office with the door closed. And she just told me I could use it. What is she doing? And the implication was that I was stealing files or something. So they called me into a meeting the next day, sit me down at the table like I'm at the principal's office and questioned me as to what I was doing. I'm like, well, you know, well, you told me I could use your office. Do you want to know what I was doing? I was calling the electric company to make a payment arrangement on my electric bill, if you must know. That's what I was doing. And that still wasn't enough for them. And they were still trying to get to it that I had somehow taken something. And I was very insulted. And I just told them flat out, I said, so now I've worked here for 19 years. I work here day and night. I'm here early in the morning. I'm here late at night when there's nobody else here. There's nothing here that I want or would need to steal. Uh, because first of all, any indiscretions that we've had as an agency have been on the front page of the paper. So nothing's a secret. That's that's number one. Any you know litigation or anything that's going on against us is fully public. And number two, if I wanted to steal something, it wouldn't be with an office full of people. If I wanted to take a document or do whatever, I, I'm I'm trust that I'm much more sophisticated than that. And you would never know. And I'm here until late into the night and no one would ever know. But the fact that you would question my integrity and that I would compromise my 19 years on the strength of the word of somebody who's been here only nine months, unfathomable. And you don't say it when she goes in or when anyone else goes in and uses your office. So why would you question me? And you know what my supervisor told me? Her words to me was, oh, well, you're not one of us. That's exactly what she said to me. She said it out of her mouth. Well, that, that's now that is some blatant stuff right there. You're not, not one, one of us. us. And I said, an oh. And what did you say? I said, one of who? I said, what exactly is <laughs> that one of who? Precisely. And, and did she name the people? And I said, oh, so I'm not in your white girls club. <laughs> that's not what I meant. I can't believe you. That's exactly what you said. That's exactly what you implied. Every person that you name here is, you know, white, race, white, female at the job. And you're not one of us. That's exactly what you're saying to me. And I resent it. And so they were offended at me that I called them on their racism, but it was what it was. And I was so angry at that point that 
Yes, you know, I just was yeah. not going to tolerate it. I just wasn't going to tolerate it. And I've had so many. Well, it's, it's interesting because I've had similar situations where, um, where I was working um, at a university um, a few years ago and the staff assistant was robbing the university blind. Like she was having um, TV sent to her house. She went to Vegas on the university, made up a conference. This is way before 9-11, made up a conference, traveled, blah, blah, blah. And I was um, doing some work at the, at the counseling center at the time. And I was also using um, a, a purchase card, but someone else's, which I would never do again. But, um, and she, it came out that she was stealing mm. from the university. She tried to blame it on mm. me. And people believe, like, although we went to court, she got fired, she was suspended. None of that was the case for me. People in our office still believed that mm-hmm. I was the thief. And so, you know, the question becomes, what makes it easier for you to believe that mm-hmm. I am the thief and not her? Um, and so that that was still kind of a present piece for me. Um, and I think where I get most triggered is when people, um, like I worked hard to get mm-hmm. where I am, to sit in mm-hmm. this seat, um, and I'm still working hard to make things happen, right? And when people question whether I belong or, I mean, today at the doctors, this was so interesting. I was getting a test done. And, um, and so the woman and I were chatting just a little bit. And I said, she says, oh, the test is easy. It's just to set up that's hard. I said, yeah, I know it can be, I, I, I know it's pretty laborious, right? And I saw her kind of stand up like laborious, <laughs> right? The big words. It's the word. That's, that's the SAT is. words right there. You probably didn't know what it meant. <laughs> and she said, on cue, where do you work? I get that a lot. Hmm. Yeah. Or what do you do mm-hmm. for a living? Or, um, yeah. And so it's that surprise element that just annoys me. Like, what? So what advice would you give to people about managing microaggressions and um, the best way or to um, negotiate them and move with them in the moment, that kind of thing. You talking to me? Let's start. Let's start with Tamika. Uh, I would say probably when it happens to you fairly often, and, and when you're earlier, kind of middle in your career, it's something that you encounter more often when when you get to be um, seasoned in your career or when you're the manager of the unit. So people, depending on your position in in the organization or the uh, the institution, the agency uh, is where people believe that they can enter with you and come at you. So if you're uh, the secretary or if you're a mid-level manager or if you're uh, a first line uh, new uh, employee in in the place, people think that they can approach you in that way because whether they're positionally above or below you. They they believe that they have the right. And you said, uh, Dr. Stacey, mm-hmm. that we can talk about parenting and them in particular, they approach people in that way. And so what time has taught me is that you probably need to, to be prepared. Like 
stay ready so you don't have to get ready and have some, some canned responses for these types of things so that you know how you're going to counter it. So the next time someone asks me something like this, I am going to, in the moment, flip it back on them and ask them, what do you mean by that? Just plain and simple. A simple, well, what do you mean by that? Why do you say that? And it puts the onus back on them and you don't have to take in the weight of their words and you put it back on them and allow them to fully uh, explain to you what it is that they mean or why they are they are so bold as to insult you. And when you do that, it takes it off of you. You find that you don't internalize the anger and the vitriol that comes with that. And, and you know, like Dr. Cheatham, I do spend a lot of times I'm a thinker and I go back and I think and I think and how I could have come at it better. So I think to be prepared for the situations is, is one way to do it. So what are, what are a few of your canned responses? It, it depends on what's said to you. It, it depends on what it is. And so why, why, why do you ask that? What makes you think that? Do you say that to others? Do you say that to other people? And so whatever it is, for whatever reason that you think that they're challenging, if it's an intellectual question, if you think it's racial or something, flip it back on them and ask them why or where does that come from? Or why do you feel comfortable asking me? To, uh, why do you feel comfortable asking me, am I married? If you see me out with my three nieces and nephews, oh, are those your children? Oh, I didn't know you were married. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't need to know that I, you know, there was something. Should you, should you have but, known? Right. Did you have? Yeah. And that, and that puts it right back on them. And it, and it takes, mm-hmm. it takes the sting out of it. The zing that they attempted to put on you, it puts it right back on them. And those are the types of questions that we're asked. If you're black and female and you're out without a ring and you've got several children, uh, that comes with judgment. What if they were my kids and I wasn't married? It's still none of your business. It's none of your business. And you don't have the right to 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 cast judgment upon me like just because of that and say, well, um, considering I'm the person that's feeding them or you just come back with a finger of your own. Well, um, no, I'm not married. And these are my children and I feed them. I take care of that. I don't recall asking you for anything today. So okay. puts it right back on them. And it, it, it takes some of the, you, we can't, when we take these things in, you really do. You get tired. It's 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 racial fatigue, and it wears you down. And after taking so many and not saying anything, it'll cause you to blow up. And so then, to, uh, after taking so many of them, sometimes you might then overreact or react in a manner that is more aggressive than maybe one particular situation calls for. And that's because of the cumulative effect of this type of thing. And, and you just can't allow yourself to do that. So what I would advise uh, young people to do, or no matter where you are, is just to be prepared and to challenge people on their ignorance in that moment. Like do not allow them to put their ignorance off on you. I just add a sentence to that. Only if after I've gotten finished doing my part, I'm embarrassed. (laughs) Do I explain it? (laughs) Only if I embarrass me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I, and, I, and, I, and I think what's true is that I always tell people that you get to choose when and how yeah. you respond. And so because every provocator does not deserve right, right. a response. And sometimes your silence is as powerful mm-hmm. as your voice. And so because there are moments in time that I am having a difficult white people week because it happens, mm-hmm. Right. Or they're just somebody who just is just difficult and loves to say things to get say things to get stirred up. Well, I don't. I'm not. I'm. I'm not feeling very educative. So just I'm not well, speaking. One of one of my canned responses came to me while Tamika was speaking. 
And that is when somebody asks one of those personal questions, my canned response is, hmm, I'm, I'm sorry, but I have a hard time sometimes keeping track of who pays my bills, which month. Which month do you do my mortgage? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What about you, Andre? What would you say as far as advice is concerned? Um, you really did cover it. the power of your words and the power of your silence at times. And, and it's, it's not, it's, so I can, I, I put on a, it's, it's like a doctor, it's, it's, it's an air. It, it, it becomes very quick. It's like, okay. And you just smile at them. Mm-hmm. When, when I smile at people, but it's like, it's not that I'm happy about you. It's like, I see you. Mm-hmm. And I see, I see you're mad. Mm-hmm. And there will be, there have been times like you mad. Yeah. And if you, like when I put that smile and my face goes from, <laughs> I go, you mad, aren't you? What you, what are you mad about? What, what, why do you feel the need to say that? And it, it puts them in a position of th- their defensiveness, but you've done, you don't get hype with them, but you've taken control of the situation. Mm-hmm. And, and that, mm-hmm. that repositioning of power in that situation, um, I, I it's, it's an effective move. Now it takes you being able to do it because you, sometimes you could be a little, you could be a little hot, but in, in, and this is way too deep of an answer. I tend to look. I tend to look past the words and look at the person. And it's like you're you either you're either hurt or you're mad about something, and it's not it's not even about me right now. And and it's like okay, and, and I'm not gonna get deep and spiritual, but it's like what's wrong with you? It's like something's wrong with you, and you and you, you hurt and you're broken right now. You mad about something? You okay? And, and like I, you don't really. Sometimes you really do care, and sometimes you really don't care. But it's like, but to address the fact that you, that, you know, you want them to know that, you know, mm-hmm. something's wrong with you and, and, and it, it, it puts them in, in a weird position mm-hmm. and it's, it, it recaptures that moment of power for you um, without having to do too much. Sometimes mm-hmm. I find that to be a, it can, it can be different, but if you can pull it off with a certain air, a certain swagger about yourself when you say it. It's a it's a definite moment of, of of readjustment. You know, it's ever evolving. I think ever evolving because it, in each situation uh, calls for something different. And sometimes I think it calls on depends on where they catch you and how they catch you, the time, the mood that you're in, what you've been dealing with up mm-hmm. until that moment. You know, sometimes you're feeling a little generous and you might let something slide or like. As you know, Gary said, you might give them the okay. You know, sometimes and sometimes not. It, it, it just all depends. And I can just say for myself, uh, it depends on where I'm at on the day. And I, 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 I'll, I'll think about it. What I've learned not to do is to not let it slide. But it's a matter of how aggressively, how counter aggressively, am I going to, you know, hit back with this or not? But um, I've gotten to a point where I, I, I'm not going to let disrespect slide. It's not. And I, I'm inclined to call a thing a thing as well. To say, are you aware that people could experience what you just said mm-hmm. as racism, mm-hmm. as racist? Um, and just kind of like it's, it's yep. still curious, but but it calls a thing a thing. Or I'm experiencing what you said as racist or derogatory or problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'm having a reaction. That's the that's the famous therapist statement. I'm having a reaction to what you're saying, and this is why. Um, and so, 
and, 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 and so I think that there's value. I think there's value in walking away. I think there's value in galvanizing some help. I think there's value in, um, in spreading the love. You didn't call it that Tamika, but Marcus Burke from our very first episode talks about, um, putting the responsibility for the racism mm-hmm. back on the racist. Um, which is kind of I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. what you said. And then of course there's the counter aggression mm-hmm. as well, which is just straight on, like I'm not your boy. Um, right. And so, uh, and so those are all kind of times, things that you can do to try to negotiate and navigate it. And I think it's really important as well to not to internal, to not internalize it as much as mm-hmm. possible. Um, and I, th- I think that racism itself, and this is a Toni Morrison quote that I'm going to botch, but just with, just go with me for a second. But the notion that racism itself is a distraction mm-hmm. and that, um, and it, I mean, it's a systemic institutional distraction, but a distraction nonetheless. And that because when you hit one bar, the bar will move or move or move. And you hit another bar, the bar will move. And so that um, there's value in being as authentic as you can in the moment to help mm-hmm. yourself. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so that that you don't get to that point where you have racial battle fatigue or race-based Sometimes stress. they try to pretend that they don't know that it's racism. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. sending them to kindergarten is a good idea as, Another example mm-hmm. of that, a secretary on the third floor of my building when I was the dean had my car ticketed because it was parked in the circle in front of our office, which was is a restricted parking place. And so my secretary could see outside, but I couldn't. And she told me that my car was being ticketed. And so I went out to speak to the, uh, to the campus policeman, and he told me that they had gotten a call from upstairs that uh, my car was illegally parked in a restricted area uh, in front of the building. She was so proud of herself that she let me know that she was the one who phoned and required them to ticket my car. Wow. So I said to her, "Um, why didn't you have them ticket the associate dean's car that was parked right next to mine? And she said, I don't know his car. I said, peculiar to me that you know mine and you don't know his. And his is parked beside mine in the restricted area almost every day. And his is parked there when mine isn't. And when you figure out why you know my car, but you don't know the associate dean's car, come down and tell me. I'll still be in 116. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there you go. There, there you go. So one of the things that can happen sometimes when you actually um, challenge the behavior or the statement or um, whatever the situation is, is that you get fragility mm-hmm. as a response in the sense of you're crying or I didn't mean it that way and not really acknowledging that intent doesn't always equal impact or you know me better or a shutting down or, you know, just, just um, emotional outburst, um, just kind of on and on and on. And I'm wondering, because that's the next 
level or next frontier, if you will, what do folks think about that and what do you do with that? Well, I can answer that also just by a little bit of extension to that. And it's about incorporating or bringing other people into the equation. I didn't let it stop there. When I went back to my suite, to the dean's suite, I called my peer dean and explained to him what had happened. I'm responsible for this building. My name is on the, the thing for this building. And if I park for a few minutes, I don't think that your people ought to be, your guests in this building, actually computer science. Uh, and I don't think that uh, your people ought to be. And he said, I agree with you, but my department head is in room 311. So I put down the phone. I said, thank you very much. And I went to 311 and I talked to the department head who was responsible, who was in charge of that secretary who had dropped a dime on me. (laughs) Sometimes you you have to walk it. Mm -hmm. So I I walked it. I got as much mileage out of it as I could. And then I told the provost Mm how his, how my peer dean chose to provide supervision for a complaint. That's crazy. That's some passive aggressive. <laughs> that ain't passive aggressive. That's, that's aggressive aggressive. Aggressive aggressive. <laughs> Isn't yeah, that aggressive I, aggressive? I, huh? I, I would like to see us uh, do just that and normalize standing up for ourselves. Because even just even the question, because we know that then the next step is that they go to fragility. And then the question is always for us managing ourselves. How do we manage them in situations? Because historically, oftentimes there have been negative implications or impacts for us when they go all the way for on, you know, and that that is that. But um, I think that they ought to get used to knowing that we're going to call them out on their racism. So instead of always phrasing it nicely, well, whatever do you mean by that or well, tell me how well it's making me feel. Sometimes you'd like you said, just have to call a thing a thing and say that was racist. I didn't appreciate the way you came at me. Don't talk to me that way. Don't approach me in that way. And just point blank. And that's it. And so when you when they feel the need then to run back and tell whoever they want to tell. OK, well, then you do that and we'll deal with it from that level then. But we're going to also start with when you approached me with whatever microaggression it was in in the first place. And it just. Well, it, it, it's tiring. It, it, it I'm, really I'm, I'm is. more aggressive than that. I, I, sometimes we, we spend too much time with them on their problem. I do. And my response, ain't nobody got time for that. That's what I'm saying. I want you to poke it here in a minute. I, I also think that I think you should be having an emotional reaction. That you've done something that was hurtful and offensive to somebody you work with or somebody you care about and I'm okay like I'm comfortable with tears like um I and so I think it's okay for you to cry or to and I'm not trying to make you cry like that's not a goal and but the behavior itself is problematic and if you're having a reaction to being called on it I I just think that that's normal and you'll be okay you'll be all right well, and and I am also inclined to share when I, particularly when I'm consulting, when I see this happen, 
um, that I will share that oftentimes what will happen in situations is that um, an African-American person will confront a white woman and the white woman cries. And then the, uh, the African-American person <laughs> who was originally offended and hurt and perpetrated upon becomes Demonized. the offender. Yep. And that's, and that is some racist stuff, some white supremacy. Like I just, just call it kind of what it is to, to, um, to, 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 to let it kind of sit and hang. I mean, and I may quote Robin DiAngelo or send a Ted talk or, um, like, you know, what all of that, give them a little chapter from Dr. Kendi, what, whatever you need. I, I'm your girl. Right. And so, um, and so I, I oftentimes will use the literature to help buoy my response. What were you going to say, Gary? I appreciate just taking in the knowledge because it, it can, um, one of my sayings, honestly, is uh, one of the one of the deadliest liquids on earth is a white woman's tears. Mm. Um, mm. And, and so Ooh. I tend to be <laughs> a little bit careful when things start flowing. It's like, all right, well, <laughs> we've hit a point now where this is now endangering me. Um, and, and so it's, it, but I appreciate listening to you all and listening to, to your knowledge and, and your experiences on, on, on how, how you all are effectively navigating and have effectively navigated, uh, through the years. Cause avoidance tactics are like a, an internalization, are, are, as you have said, are not healthy and they are not the one and it, it has, it leads to fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and other things, cause that, then that begins to impact your personal life and your personal health as well. And so, yeah, so I appreciate the knowledge you all brought forth. I don't always navigate it well, you know, don't always handle it well in the moment. You know, there are times that I blow up. Uh, there are times that I don't respond as quickly and as sharply, you know, on the wit, quick on the draw as I would like to. And I go back and I debrief and, and this is where having a good circle is. So have a good circle of friends or other colleagues, people that you can talk about and just unpack some of this stuff so that you can go back for a battle the other day. Because the fact of the matter is every day that we wake up black in America and go into an employment sphere, it's always a, a battle of some sort. And so some days are better than others in dealing with racism and, and the racist system in our institutions. And other days, it's it's not so great. But I, I think we're learning and evolving every time we do that. And I think that each time you set a perpetrator straight, that typically that helps that they better think twice before they come back at you. And so it's like, you know, what I say is like, you got to get up early in the morning, to think about how you're going to get at me, you know, like, I'm not going to let you get over on me. So they, they're either not going to approach you in that way again, or else they're going to try to get more sophisticated in their methods. And either way, you already see him coming, like you said, from a mile away. And so you just learn how to deal with it. And it becomes a part, unfortunately, it is a part of, um, it's just a part of life as, as a Black person in America. So I'm going to roll us back to my last question about microaggressions. And my question is, what's the one, I asked you about advice to other people. What I'm also wondering is what's the one piece of advice that you would give yourself, your younger version of yourself? So 20 years, 30 years, 50 years um, that you know now, what what would you want that person to know? You got to quit swallowing stuff. Mm. This is personal and professional. Don't remain in any situation that does not honor you. Mm, that's good. What about you, Dr. Cheatham? 
I don't have a single summary sentence, but I agree very much with both of the statements from Tamika, the statement both from Tamika and Gary or Andre. I actually don't. The only thing that, that, that I think we need to continue to is, is be woke and stay woke. Mm. Stay woke. It's mm-hmm. good. It's good. I, I think I would say something about I'm in charge of my voice mm. and not everything deserves it. Huh. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, I don't think the other thing is racism although I'm impacted by it, is the problem of the racist. Mm-hmm. 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 All right, good people. Thank you so much, 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 very much. This was a great conversation. Thank you for having me. Thank, Thank you. you. This was great fun. Thank you. This episode was edited by Nikki Anderson. Special thanks to our interns, Amanda Gillette, and other contributors. Our music, is provided by Jaffa. Being the Dot is sponsored by davidsdeliciousdelights.com. davidsdeliciousdelights.com. Custom-made, personalized cakes, pies, cookies, and pastries made with a dash of Southern flair. Visit davidsdeliciousdelights.com and use the coupon code BEINGTHEDOT for 20% off orders of $34.99 or more. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.